Hello, this is Kurt Frankum, and many of you know me as the host of the Leading Saints podcast. But Leading Saints isn't just a podcast. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we strive to create quality leadership content for Latter-day Saints in order to help them be better prepared to lead. With this mission comes a lot of expense, and we need additional help to continue our efforts in the coming year. In order to exchange value for value, we have created the Core Leader Community. To become a core leader, all you have to do is become a subscribing donor, which might be a monthly recurring donation or even a quarterly or yearly donation. For those who become a core leader through a subscription donation, you have access to our core leader library, which includes additional recorded interviews not available to the general audience, access to all virtual summits, discounts on products and conferences, and access to a private CoreCast feed where you will hear additional leadership thought and behind the scenes happenings. We are a community of leaders making this happen, and we need you a part of this mission. Text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to become a core leader today, or visit leadingsaints.org donate. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankum, your host. And if you're new to Leading Saints, this is a fun podcast with over 350 episodes where we talk all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. Because our mission as a nonprofit organization is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we get a lot of great feedback and perspectives shared here on the podcast that uh, hopefully will help you do that. Now, in this episode, this is what we call a How I Lead episode, right? Uh, We seek out some uh, various individuals with specific callings and just ask them, hey, how is it you go about leading in that role? And the calling and role that we're focusing on in this episode is stake president. And I interviewed Joe Staples, who is a stake president in Sandy, Utah. And a shout out to Davis Smith. If you haven't listened to Davis's episode, you really should do that. Fantastic information. But Davis Smith, who's the CEO of Cotopaxi and also a counselor to Joe Staples, uh, he recommended I reach out to uh, President Staples. And uh, we did that, arranged an interview and uh, got some fantastic content. Now, during his uh, day job, he's actually the chief marketing officer of a company in Lehigh, Utah called Motivosity. And Motivosity produces some fantastic software to help companies better recognize and show appreciation to their employees, which obviously stimulates a culture of gratitude and and unity, right? And uh, so, we we talk a little bit about that as far as the role of, of showing appreciation and, and the best practices of showing appreciation as a church leader, since that's uh, part of his perspective in, in his day job. But President Staples actually only been state president for 18 months now, but uh, nonetheless is, is focused on specific leadership principles that I f- feel like is leading him towards success that you'll appreciate. We, we talk about, as far as the process, uh, he's had calling bishops, how he's uh, tried to be more authentic and human to those individuals in his stake. And obviously, like I mentioned, showing appreciation. And then just this whole concept of establishing a vision and keeping on track to the vision that you have as a presidency or whatever calling you're in. Really solid stuff that I think you will enjoy. So here is my interview with President Joe Staples. Today I'm in Lehigh, Utah in a beautiful a business building at, I mean, help me out with this, Joe, Motivosity. Is Good. that how you say it? You got it right. Good. Now, now, what do you do here, Joe? I'm the chief marketing officer. Nice. So, uh, and marketing guy, marketing background, is yep. that, uh, it's always been in that field? For the last 20 plus years. 
Nice. Yeah. And uh, you, Joe Staples, I didn't got to say your full name. You're also a stake president in Sandy area, right? Sandy, Utah, Willow Creek Stake. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Now, and one of your counselors is Davis Smith, a former uh, guest on the, on this podcast. And he, he gave me just a, one or two names to, uh, to follow up on to say these would be great interviews. And yours, your name was on that list. So here we are. It actually happened. Nice. So, so give us, put yourself into context. What's your background? Uh, what do we need to know about Joe? Professionally, uh, yeah, most uh, my, well, my entire career has been in technology and uh, the last 20 plus years has been in marketing executive positions. From a church standpoint, I grew up in Las Vegas as, as a non-member, mm-hmm. joined the church right after I graduated from high school. I'd already decided that I was going to go to BYU. And if you ever want to have a lot of friends, register as a non-member at BYU. <laughs> Everyone is your friend. I showed up and I was like, wow, this, this is great. And, yeah. then they, and then they figured out that, I was, uh, that I'd gotten baptized a couple months before. Oh, nice. And then kind of stayed in Utah for a while, moved to, to Seattle for a number of years. Uh, I've, and then we moved back here about 17 years ago. Wife, uh, five kids, all married, waiting on grandchild number 16. Wow, that's great. So being a convert, I mean, d- did you grow up with a religion a focus or anything like that? Not a little bit. I had uh, a grandmother that was was very very religious in the, in the Catholic church. So I would spend my summers in Pennsylvania on their, on my grandparents' farm and would go to church with her. But it was, it was never a real meaningful thing to me. Yeah. So what, to, what started this process of you actually considering joining the church? Friends. Yeah. Which I th- is, is a real common thing to, to hear. I think the other thing that's really common is I, I lost count of how many people I've met that join the church when they're 17, 18 years old. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's just kind of a time where you're trying to figure out where's your life going and what's it all mean. So I had some good friends that were members of the church. They invited me a couple of different times to, to take the missionary discussions. I wasn't too sure about it. Finally said yes. And I... I, I wish the missionaries that taught me were sitting next to me and you'd hear their side of the story, but they would come and they would teach the principles. They would leave a pamphlet and mark a part of the Book of Mormon that I needed to read. And then they'd come back the next week and they'd say, so did you read it? And I'd kind of look at my shoes and I'd say, ah, no, you know, I didn't really have time. <laughs> and then, you know, I really consider myself kind of a, a fulfillment of Moroni's promise. Mm. I knew they were coming for the next discussion at this one point. And I thought, you know, I need to decide if, if this is true or not and either move on or, or move in Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and prayed. And, and what I saw was an answer to, was the first vision real? Did Heavenly Father and, and his son appear to the prophet Joseph Smith? And I had this overwhelming response from the Holy Ghost that it, that it was true uh, and then kind of the, the rest just played out in my life. You know, then the missionaries showed up and I'm sure they were kind of shocked because they were anticipating another, no, I haven't really had time. <laughs> and I was like, yes, and I know it's true and I oh, want to get baptized. Right. And so from then, then it was like, I'm going to BYU. I mean, I'm in, right? You're- <laughs> and I was on, I was absolutely on fire. I couldn't get enough of the gospel messages. I used to 
I probably shouldn't even disclose this because I'll get in trouble, but I used to sneak into the MTC before my mission to go to the devotionals. I mean, really? I, I, I made... I made a badge. I did, did the, whole, really? the whole thing. And I would kind of march in there because I thought, here's a member of the 12th that's speaking. I want to hear him. And I would, uh, I'd do anything to, to hear. <laughs> so, so did, did anybody ever question you? Or? No. Because really? I, I walked in like I, like I absolutely Confidence. owned the place. Yeah. yeah. Didn't make eye contact was the other thing. And then I just f- kind of follow every one of the missionaries. Uh-huh. It was fun. So you just attach yourself to a group and then they yeah. question who your right. companion yeah. is or whatever. Yep. <laughs> Wow, there it is. Well, we'll see if the uh, authorities, the church authorities right. call They know where to find you. Now, so. now the MTC is like Fort Knox. I don't oh, think yeah, you yeah. can do it now, but yeah. uh, back then it worked. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. So did you end up serving a mission? I did. Uh, uh, I consider it kind of two places. I was a visa waiter. I went to Brazil, but uh, after spending four and a half months in the MTC as a missionary, kind of waiting for that visa, they sent us to the to the Boston, Massachusetts. Wow, they mission. kept you that long in the MTC. Yeah. Really? Wow. And then we were in Boston for four months and then finally got to Brazil. <laughs> I bet you were happy to get out of that MTC after four and a half I months. I love the MTC. Yeah? I've right. never met anybody that likes the MTC more than I do. <laughs> I, I loved it. So that was a good good chunk of your mission there in, in the yeah, MTC. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So uh, go to Brazil and then uh, come home, Mary, and, and begin your, your life and deepen in uh, the religious uh, Latter day Saint life, right? Yep. Cool. Exactly. Nice. So uh, called as a, a stake president, he said two or 18 months ago, right? Right. And uh, so you're a newbie, but you got it figured out at 18 months, right? Wrong. Right. Wrong. <laughs> what do you remember from that experience of being called as a stake president? You know, so uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with the process where mm-hmm. uh, a general authority and uh, in our case, uh, an area 70 as his companion came and interviewed 32, 33 people for seven minutes each. Mm-hmm. So. I found the the process fascinating that they, you know, come in and are just looking for the Lord to reveal to them who the, the stake president is. So had a nice interview and then got called back and got called to be the stake president. The Another vivid thing that sticks out for me is they said, okay, so now we need counselors and you have 10 minutes to... Yeah. to come up with them. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a but lot. But it was of work. a neat. It was a it was a very inspirational experience to get to select them. Yeah. So now that you're 18 months, I mean, what what advice or perspective would if you could go back to day one and, and give your your presidency some advice after 18 months? I mean, what comes to mind as far as just starting that process up as a presidency as a state presidency? Yeah, that's. Uh, so if it's what have we learned in 18 months, we've. You or know, what advice made, would you give? Yeah. Yeah. We certainly made our, our share of mistakes and things that we'd probably choose to do differently. One interesting thing is in the 18 months, we have eight wards in mm-hmm. our stake and we've replaced six bishops in wow. 18 months. And it just happened to be the, yeah. the timing of, of when they hit. That is for me, one of the most fascinating processes so, you know, that has been an interesting process. One of the things that we did uh, a while ago is we asked ourselves the question, at the end of nine years, what do we want to have accomplished? What are major goals that we hope we uh, have accomplished? Because what we didn't want to do is come to the end of nine years and go, 
yeah, you know, we called people, we released people, we gave state conference talks and I don't know what yeah, else. Nothing caught on fire. You know, we can, <laughs> yeah, that, right. The buildings are still standing. Uh, but we thought, you know, it needs to be more than that. What are the things that we want to have accomplished? And the list wasn't lengthy. It was, uh, you know, probably six or seven different things. And then our plan is to periodically, we're getting ready to do it again in January, uh, to uh, look at those items and say, what have we done to help us uh, accomplish those goals? And, and we give the same uh, direction to, to other leaders in the stake to, to think about at the end of your time, at the end of, of this calling, what would you like to have accomplished? And I think that helps them put things in perspective. And you said you have a routine as far as how often you revisit that list, did you say? Uh, we just revisit it. We don't... Uh, just went yeah, here and there. Like yeah. we just, we set a date in January because we know that, uh, you know, it's time to, yeah. to talk First about those First of the year. And yeah. yeah. Interesting. And I think that's just so, because uh, you can get so bogged down with, you know, missionaries coming and going, the administrative side that you sort of can lose that, especially by year six or seven. And it can, you sort of remember, I don't remember what we put on that list. Yeah. Right. So, but being intentional of just having that meeting of saying, you know, what, what do we want to accomplish, whether we're going to or not, that, that goes a long way. Right? And, and some of the things are very measurable that it will be easy for us to see, did we accomplish it or did we not? And some of them aren't. Some of them are, you know, we've got one on there that says we would, we would like to have relatively few full-time missionaries come home. Mm. Uh, come early. home early, right. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, we didn't set a number to it, but it's still something that we're reminded of and that then causes us to take action such as, you know, how are we doing mission prep? How are we doing uh, final interviews? How are we making sure they're they're ready to go before we recommend them? Those yeah. kinds of those kinds of things. And I, it's probably easy to take your mind there when you're meeting with that missionary who's preparing to leave to really be intentional of of uh, asking every question you can think of so that that dramatic ex negative experience doesn't happen. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the other things that was interesting for us early on is. Um, Actually, before I was called as a stake president, uh, I had strong feelings that I would be called. And those strong feelings came from the fact that I got what I would consider solid inspiration as to some priorities for the stake, mm. which then caused me to say, now, why would Heavenly Father give me priorities for the stake if, if I was going to go be a primary teacher? Uh -huh. And we've stuck really closely with those. We, we ask ourselves on a regular basis, what are we doing about this priority or, or that priority? And those have been, if you kind of think of the, the things that grounds us in where we spend our time, it's been around those priorities. Yeah. Any thought with the dynamic? Because I remember my time when I served in the state presidency, there was always this struggle of like, you want to create a bold vision, uh, have clear, clear purposes in all things you do and goals. But at the same time, you don't want to make those so dynamic that they really, they come across to the wards as like, no, this is what you're doing. Just stop thinking. We, we've done the thinking for you. Any thought to that dynamic of of having intentional goals and visions without, while still maintaining the autonomy of, of the wards in your, in your stake? Yeah. Our, our priorities are less tactical. It's not something that we would then hand to the ward and say, 
you got to go do this. So I'll give you an example. One of them is we want our uh, young men and young women to be morally clean. We want people to think of the youth inside the Willow Creek stake as these are kids that live the law of chastity. So there's nothing tactical that we mm-hmm. then turn to a bishop and say, okay, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. We just set that priority and then we look at, well, how do you accomplish that? And for us, it's things like, you know, we recognize that, yes, we should do Q&A with them. And yes, we should make sure they understand what the standards are. But for us, we really landed on those young men and young women need to have spiritual experiences that build their testimonies so that when they are faced with temptation, they go, no way, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. do those things. So again, those are things that... I think don't come across to a ward like we're telling them how, yeah. how to do their job. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, tell us about Motivosity and what they do, and because and, I think it's intriguing and, and can really be applicable to church leadership. It, it is applicable. I, you know, I don't know if, it, if, if the software would apply, but the principle right, right. behind yeah. the software applies. So, so Motivosity is a software platform for employee recognition and appreciation. It allows peers to recognize and give small monetary rewards to their coworkers for doing great things. The number one driver of employee satisfaction is feeling appreciated for their work. Lots of studies that, that prove that out. And so we have a software platform that essentially operationalizes that. So take that and say, how does that apply yeah. in, a, in a church setting? I think as leaders, that's the one call it trading currency that we have mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't, we don't pay people for serving in positions, but we have the ability to help them feel that we appreciate everything that they do. And so I think uh, as, as church leaders, we need to make sure we're deliberate and taking time to thank people. And those could be in letters that go out, handwritten notes, a pause at the end of a high council meeting to express appreciation for things that that they have that they have done. I think that goes a long way because at the end of the day, if if we're asking literally hundreds of people uh, to serve and to give up their time, they need to know that we appreciate it. We're we're grateful to them for for doing that. Yeah. And any advice as far as getting past the, I, I think a lot of leaders, they feel like, you know, I do express my gratitude and appreciation for them. And, and usually it's a handshake and a smile and, you know, a thumbs up or whatever, but maybe it's, it's become so much part of our culture that we sort of just say those things anyways. So how do you get past that of it being more sincere and feeling more like appreciation rather than just uh, the cliches that we, we ramble off? Yeah, I th- I think the more specific you can be, the more authentic it mm. comes across. If it's just the tagline, thanks for all you do, good tagline, but okay, thanks, yeah. thanks for all I do. But if you can, you know, take things that you see or that you hear and you say, wow, you know, I went to this teaching conference that you organized. Here's what I loved about it. And if you can give people those kinds of specifics, it comes across much more sincere. I think also if you can, as much as you can do it in a one-on-one setting where you're actually talking to that individual, there may be other people around listening and there's nothing wrong with that, but that I think goes a long way compared to you're speaking at state conference and you stand up and say, thanks, 
everybody for, <laughs> for all that you do. They, they're like, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. A- any, any other advice as far as just feedback in general, even because I'm, I'm sure there's times when, you know, you want to show you're appreciative, but at the same time, there's some correction in store. Any, any thoughts on that? Or maybe that's out of the scope of, of no, what, it's what not out of the scope at all. You know, I, I think of the relationship that I have with my counselors and I think most people want feedback. If they are doing something that needs a slight correction or a major correction, they would much rather have the church leader sit down with them and say, can I offer a suggestion? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I've observed this. How do you think that's working? And then try and, you know, steer them in a, in a certain direction. I think they crave that more than trying to avoid anybody telling them anything negative. So I've had occasions where, where I've sat down and said, let's talk about a specific thing that's, that's going on. And it required an adjustment to the way this individual was doing things. And he's thanked me over and over again. Like, I, I think it went farther than a thanks or a praise in, yeah. in his case, because his desire was, and still is, he wants to do the absolute best job that he can in, in the calling that he serves in. And we're all, you know, somewhat blind to, to our blind spots at times. And so when someone can lovingly and in a caring, compassionate way, share that with another individual, I think they yeah. like it. Is there a point, and, and I'm curious, I'm sure you see this with the, your, the software you use, but I'm sure there's comes to a point in any organization where almost too much appreciation is given to the point it just sort of inflates what appreciation is. So is there a point where you have to be cautious of giving too much appreciation? I think that's, I, I think we're far from that. I think mm. better, it better to it err wouldn't on be a concern. Idea. Yeah. I think that we can swing the pendulum a lot farther toward appreciation than, than we do. Yeah. And do you in your own service have any routines as far as, because it's one thing you sort of forget about it, you know, all the administrative duties. Is there any routines or things you do to make sure that you, you're being appreciative to those that serve with you? We've talked about the importance of after state conference, when someone's prepared to talk, you know, making sure that we reach out to them. So some of those things are a little bit more mm-hmm. structured, but I think it's just being conscientious of the fact that this, that appreciation really does make a difference to the individual and just taking, taking time. I'm not sure we do any, you know, there's, there's any checklist that, or there's not a reminder on our phone or anything like mm-hmm. that. I think, uh, but I think it's a habit that's pretty easy yeah. to create. Yeah. And it's really just sort of becoming that person yeah. who's being aware of individuals who need to be appreciated. Right. right? Yeah. So let's go to, as I had you maybe jot down a few things and thoughts as far as uh, as it pertains to your own leadership experience and what, what's been most effective and, and perspectives and whatnot. We talked about, you know, thanks and being, uh, having appreciation for others. Next one we put is a believing heart. Where do we go with that? You know, so this goes back to, to my conversion. And I, so it was the summer, I'd, I'd probably been a member of the church for a month oh, wow. and decided to go visit BYU and some friends that were already there with someone who was not a member of the church. And so we're driving back from Provo, back to Las Vegas, and we're entering St. George, and there's a big sign, you know, visit Brigham Young's home. And again, I, I couldn't get enough of gospel information. So I was 
turned to this person who wasn't a member of the church. I said, let's, let's go to, let's go to Brigham Young's home. And she said, okay. She said, you know, Brigham Young was a, had 27 wives, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, Brigham Young was a prophet. I had never heard this polygamy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The missionaries didn't teach yeah, me this part. The lessons yet. I said, he, I, you don't know what you're talking about. We pulled into a, a gas station. She, she was confident that she had it right. This was back in the days when they would pump your gas. The, mm-hmm. the attendant came out and I said, hey, are you a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I'm sure I didn't say that back yeah, then, right. but I'm going to say it right now. Uh, <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, pointing to my friend, she says that Brigham Young had 27 wives. Is that true? And he said, um, I don't know, 23 or 29 or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, really? And it probably took me five seconds to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it was, it was knowing that I had a testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet and which then kind of gets connected to a whole bunch of other truths. If Joseph Smith is a prophet, then the Book of Mormon's true. If Joseph Smith is a prophet, then this is the church of Jesus Christ here upon the earth. If Joseph Smith was a prophet, then that succession of prophets with Brigham Young being next was true. And so it, for me, I've, I've told this story to people that sometimes will question it and say, well, that's kind of blind faith. And I don't think it's blind faith at all. I, again, I think it's a believing heart saying, if I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet, then I knew that Brigham Young was a prophet and that, you know, if, if polygamy was what was directed by the Lord at that time, I was okay with it. So I think that encouraging people to ask questions is wonderful. But at the same time, I love encouraging people to have a believing heart, to trust in the leaders of the church, Mm -hmm. to trust in the revelations that have happened over time anciently, to trust in personal revelation that they get on, on their knees, and to cultivate having a believing heart. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I'm sure as a stake president, you run into individuals who are sort of in that miss of, you know, the dark night of the soul where they're not sure they've heard that information and it wasn't five seconds for them. Right. And so that's where the encouragement comes from is, you know, having faith and, and that believing heart. Yeah. And I think also as a church leader, that's where you have to be empathetic. Mm-hmm. If, if it comes easy to you and doesn't come easy to somebody else, you don't get to look them in the eye and say, just believe, I believe, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so you have to understand that people's faith journey is different. Every one of them is different. I love giving Temple Recommend interviews because they are all over the spectrum. They're worthy to go to the temple and their progression in the gospel, their knowledge, the depth of their testimony is, you know, wide ranging. And that's what makes it wonderful. And they yeah. still are all worthy and go to the temple and, yeah. and believe. Awesome. Next one is uh, just go help people. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, oftentimes people can get a little bit paralyzed and think, what should I do next? And they're waiting for somebody to tell them. I think an overarching principle that leaders can convey is, you know, the concept of going out and just doing good things. And from a business standpoint, this came to me not long ago, I decided that I wanted to 
be a director on a board of directors. And I went out and I was O for 21. I, I had 21 <laughs> wow. interviews or meetings or, or connections and I was getting nothing. And I had somebody say, you know, the easiest way to end up on a board is just go help people. Just offer your, your skills, your talents, your experience, and just help them. And I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense in a business setting, and it makes a lot of sense in a church setting. So I'm now one for 22. I got a board seat uh, <laughs> cool. to a couple months ago. But I think the principle applies for church members and leaders as, as we talk to members of our stake or, or our ward is no need to wait for somebody to say, here's the assignment, here's the cannery assignment, or here's the, the assignment to go visit somebody. To be about doing good is a wonderful way to live our lives. Yeah. And, and it's easy to think, especially now with less and less callings in, in, in our organizations, it's, you can't wait around for the calling because there's not enough to go around that everybody's going to have a dynamic calling that really, you know, makes a difference in, in fulfilling that way. And so just having this and encouraging that state of mind of, you know, just go help people and that'll be better than that official title that gives you the right to go help people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a story where told by Neil, uh, Neil A. Maxwell, uh -huh. where President Hinckley came to him and said, we would like you to fulfill a certain assignment. And it was on a specific night of the week. And here's Elder Maxwell, member of the Quorum of the Twelve, you know, certainly doesn't lack for anything to, to do as far as service goes. And he turned to President Kimball and he said, I'm not sure that will work for me because that would conflict with my ministering at the hospital, hmm. something that he had taken upon himself to just uh, visit people. And I think that, you know, what a good example for, for all of us. Yeah. Cause that, that, I mean, that's truly what we're doing. We're not fulfilling assignments. We're trying to be Christ-like and minister to others. Right. And, right. Uh, and we can't let those, those assignments sometimes get in the way of, of that true intent. Next you, you put, as far as uh, start with the end in mind from, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, right? I think initially, I don't know if he thought it up, but uh, he definitely spoke and wrote about it a lot. But to, how do you implement that in your leadership? So that really goes back to the point that we oh, talked yeah, yeah. about, mm -hmm. uh, where just, you know, as, as you get called and you're brand new, you're the, you know, you're new on the high council, you're, you're a new young women's president, you're a new counselor in the primary presidency to look at what do I want to accomplish over the tenure that, that I will have in this calling. And I think it just puts it in perspective, make sure that you're looking at, you know, a, a little bit of the bigger picture versus kind of the tactical yeah. things that stare you in the face every day. Perfect. Love it. And this one I'm excited about as far as the value of, of counselors. Mm. Uh, your counselors are, are crucial in a, in a presidency. And, and a lot of people, I get a question every so often as far as from a counselor in a presidency saying, you know, I, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do here. You know, help me out. What, what advice would you have? So what's your thoughts as far as counselors in, in your experience? Boy, they are just invaluable to when used right. So what, just two or three days ago, I had a conversation with one of my counselors and said, what, what do you think your role is? Which I think is a good conversation to have. So, you know, for a president and the counselor to have a common understanding of what the role of that counselor is, I think is, is wonderful. So we talked about, 
you know, in a state presidency that, uh, that counselor has specific assignments that are theirs to carry out, that they are there to carry out instructions that the stake president would prescribe. And then we got on to the concept of being like Amulek, being this second witness. And Elder Uchtdorf oh, yeah. uh, gave, gave a great talk on it. But to think of, you know, if, if you're a counselor, to think of yourself as an Amulek, which is, you know, Alma would go out and, and he would preach and Amulek was right behind him preaching in different words, in different ways. I'm sure reaching different people, but teaching those same principles as this second witness. Uh, so I think that, I think that it's great. I think that, you know, as you call counselors, you're absolutely looking for confirmation from the Lord as to who should be those counselors and don't get clouded by thinking they need to be somebody like me. They need to think like me. I, I think it's better when they're, when they're not. So uh, my two counselors are very different than me. One of them's 20 years younger than I am. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think it just creates a, a different perspective. And we've done some things together that I think have been impactful for us. We did a, we did a survival trip together. Oh, really? So this is another one if, if I could get in trouble for, because all three of us left at the same time. Uh, we left, uh, we, we weren't gone on, on a Sunday. We made sure of that. Uh, but we went uh, to the Exumas, uh, islands of the Bahamas, um, got a sailboat, uh, took no food with us, and for a week sailed from island to island, spearfished, ate coconuts, ate uh, uh heart of palm from palm leaves. Wow. My one counselor, and I think he did it just, he, he'd say because he was hungry, but I think it was for effect, ate termites. Um, but we, I think we, we debriefed afterwards. And uh, if I remember the numbers right, we had like 23 topics that could uh, be good sacrament meeting talks and 10 lessons that we had learned from that. But the the biggest thing is, you know, I think, developed a closeness between us, yeah. a, a greater love. We rely on each other in a church setting and this caused us to rely on each other to survive. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think the, uh, another principle with that is just the power of getting out of the office, right? Like there's so many demands and callings and things you need to keep up on that you feel like, Hey, let's meet, get in the office and, and talk about these things. But there is some such power and, and it's so unifying to get out of the office whether it's a vacation, a trip, you know, I can remember several in bishoprics I've been in and state presidencies where we went to someone's cabin or we yeah. went somewhere and just hung out. You know, it wasn't right. you didn't go like, okay, what we want is ten different topics. Yeah, to come there was out. no yeah. agenda. No agenda. Yeah. You just go, and it is remarkable what it does for that presidency and for the the counselors that relationship, right? Agree, and I think another principle that goes along with that is recognizing that the wives of of these. Mm. Uh, you know, in our case of our stake presidency, our wives are so important to to our success and our ability to fulfill the callings that we have. And so we've made sure that there's plenty of opportunities for them to get to know each other and to spend time together. So we do things with the yeah. six of us. And I think, you know, that doesn't, the exact same principle relates to to women serving in primary presidencies or young women's presidencies, relief society presidencies, 
I think having the spouses know one another is a valuable thing. Yeah. Anything else as far as counselors go that you, we haven't mentioned? Boy, I'm just so grateful for mine. Yeah, 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 for sure. The last thing to put is leader has to be oh, common. As far, you talked about this before we hit record. As far as just helping individuals that you lead know that you, at the end of the day, you're just like them or you're a person, you're a human, you know, that sort of thing. So how, how would you articulate that and how do you go about it? Yeah, I, I think that a downside of leadership is when the members look at the leader as just so different than me Mm -hmm. and they feel that, you know, how do I relate to them? Yes. You know, they give eloquent talks or, you know, seem to have everything together. I think that that creates a, a disconnect. So I think for them to see leaders make mistakes and, do a bad job conducting a meeting and, you know, all the things that, that we all do, I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think you want the members to get to the point where they feel that, yeah, you're, you're just like me. And being a convert has been a benefit for me because, you know, I think sometimes there are people who are either converts or, you know, were inactive for a period of time. And they see somebody stand up and talk about, you know, their fifth generation pioneer heritage mm. and they go, yeah, that's, that's just not me. For leaders, I think, I think it's really healthy for members to see leaders as approachable, as common, as you've got the same struggles and challenges that, that I face. You, you know, you still have to go earn a living and pay a mortgage and, deal with a child that doesn't want to clean their room and all the things that go along with kind of life. We have a lay clergy on purpose. And part of that purpose, I believe, is the the fact that uh, we're all in this together. Yeah. So what does the application of that look like? I mean, how do you actually go about making sure that you do come across as as, uh, relatable? I think part of it is how you talk to people and how you approach them. We spend almost every stake presidency meeting at the beginning. We'll go through anywhere from eight to 15 names of people, learning their names, learning, looking at their picture on, on the tools app so that when, when we meet them, we can call them by name and we can talk to them and we can ask them about specific things in their family. I think that's different than the leader who, you know, comes out of the bishop's office or the stake president's office, sits on the stand, meeting's over, and they, you know, dash back in, into their office and seems unapproachable. You know, I've, uh, as a counselor in the stake presidency, I played volleyball in a suit with the young men, young women, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, th- I think it's just being deliberate about trying to, um, trying to, to help people feel comfortable with you and not to make them feel that, that you're certainly not let them feel that you think you're better than they are because right. of the position that you hold. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say is just like being intentional of getting on that personal level, right? That even in the meetings, you're learning people's names because that's on a personal level that you can connect with and relate to. And, and just putting that into practice, you'll naturally, when you interact with these people, you know them as people rather than just members of your stake. Right? Yep. Yeah. Get lost yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. Anything else as far as uh, being the the common man stake president? Or no, I th- I, I think uh, I think that's it. You know, probably what, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned as a stake president is some of the natural tendency that people have is they want to they want to help and they want to solve your problem. So somebody comes in and says, "Here's what I'm facing. What should I do?" And one of the things that we emphasize to our bishops and that we certainly try and practice is that as a leader, you can you should never get between that member and the Holy Ghost. Mm. That the real goal is to help that member get their own answer, get revelation for themselves. And so you can ask them questions, you can ask them things that they should think about. And if at the end of the day, they went off, got personal revelation, understood the answer, and thought that you didn't help them very much, that's, that's a home run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that is success. And too often, I think we can step in the way a little bit and think, well, I know exactly how I do this. And so I'm going to tell you that and send you on your way. And then I'll feel good about the answer that I gave you. That's not the goal. The goal yeah. is to let them understand how to, how to use that personal revelation, because then the success is that's not the last problem they're going to face. Right. So then when they face problem number two and problem number three and problem number four, they've now developed a skill of, I know how to work through a problem and pray about it and get an answer and take action. Yeah. And that can be scary at times as a leader, because sometimes the direction that they receive or feel they receive isn't necessarily the direction you give them. And you sort of think, oh, I, no, no, not, not that way. But you sort of have to have faith in that process that in the end, it'll, it'll work out. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. The last question I have for you as we wrap up, as you uh, consider uh, just your time as, uh, as a leader, not just the, the 18 months as, as a state president, but how has being in these leadership roles helped you become a better disciple of Jesus Christ? I think, uh, so I served as a, as a bishop when we lived in Seattle. I think it provides us opportunities. So it just, it makes it, it facilitates interactions between us and, and other people. So I think about, you know, the greatest thing that I get to do as a stake president, not, nothing even comes close to this one. And yes, you know, setting apart young missionaries is wonderful and working with with other great leaders is wonderful but to have an opportunity to help someone take advantage of the atonement of Jesus Christ by far is the greatest blessing of of being a church leader that atonement as we all know has healing power and enabling power and just does so much in the lives of people. And so for the Lord to trust us, to put us in these positions, untrained as we are, and allow us to, to help someone else understand the atonement, take advantage of the atonement, and then see that atonement happen and, and have effect in their lives is absolutely the, the greatest opportunity of church leadership. That concludes my interview with Joe Staples. A big shout out to him for allowing me to come to his office and uh, record the interview. I definitely enjoyed getting to know him. And I hope you've been inspired by some of the perspectives and thoughts he shared. 
Not necessarily that you have to do it exactly how he's gone about it, but sometimes hearing others' experiences leads you to find a whole new path, a whole new perspective and uh, approach to your calling as a leader. So hopefully let that inspiration work within you and uh, hopefully you find greater leadership success. Now, if you know anybody that I should reach out to to have on the Leading Saints podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and there uh, submit a name. Now, we can't guarantee that we're going to interview everybody that comes through, but we do give everybody a solid consideration. Every few months, we plan out a handful of weeks as far as who we're going to interview, and we'd love to put your idea on that list as far as who we should reach out to. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and we'd love to hear from you. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.